Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. UAW leadership to Trump. You really shouldn't come to Michigan. The senator and presidential candidate who thinks all UAW strikers should be fired. And after 148 days, Hollywood writers are going back to work. Today on the show, the latest from the heat and frost insulators and the Higgins Labor Program at the University of Notre Dame. Welcome to the Wednesday, September 27th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. Mr. Pete Almini will be joining us. He's in his regular slot here. He is the executive director of the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Trust, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. And right off the bat, we're going to get an update on the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. Apparently, there's more co-signers. We're getting bipartisan support. And he recently met with the acting Secretary of Labor, Julie Sue, to push this forward. We'll talk more about that. Also, the introduction very soon of the Mechanical Insulation Tax Incentive Act. So some very positive legislation that's going to help the heat and frost insulators kind of working its way through uh, Congress. And also, we're going to talk about suicide prevention. September, as you probably know by now, is Suicide Prevention Month. And we here at America's Workforce have been highlighting a number of experts because of the very fact that suicide is more prevalent in the construction industry than all other industries. It's four to five times higher. Pete is very, very passionate about this, and the heat and frost insulators have uh, put together a program, which he is going to talk about on the show. By the way, got some uh, new numbers on this. This is from uh, a healthcare strategy survey. Mental health needs, mental health needs among workforces continue to climb this year with 77%. So that's more than three out of four large employers reporting an increase in mental health needs with workers. That's a huge jump, a huge jump. And uh, Pete will talk about that and more as our first guest. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Dan Graff. Dan is the director of the Higgins Labor Program at the University of Notre Dame. And uh, this is a program that is dedicated to encouraging the Notre Dame community to realize what they call the centrality of the labor question. Who does the work? Who gets the fruits? Who makes the rules? Mr. Graff has initiated projects like the Labor Cafe, Lunchtime Labor, and the Just Wage Working Group. He also writes and curates original online content, including the Labor Song of the Month. He holds a joint faculty appointment as professor of the practice in the Department of History, 
where he has served as Director of Undergraduate Studies for 15 years. He also offers courses in U.S. labor and 19th century history, including labor and America since 1945. Also, Abraham Lincoln's America. This guy is quite the scholar. And essentially what he's going to talk about on the show is what's happening in America with all the strikes. But we're going to zero in primarily on the UAW strike, the historical resonance of the current UAW strike with previous ones. And he is of the opinion that the current leader of the UAW, Sean Fain, seems to be channeling the ghost of Walter Ruther in his rhetoric. And he points out the mainstream media really reduces coverage of labor conflicts to numbers, dollars and cents. Oh, this is going to probably raise the price of your car. And I've talked about this on the show. When when the Teamsters were talking about striking UPS, oh, you're not going to get your packages. You know what? Let's talk about the people that deliver those packages. Let's talk about the people that are making $17 an hour and then you got the big three selling vehicles for fifty, sixty thousand dollars. That's the conversation that we do on this show. So I'm glad that uh, we're having somebody like Dan Graff to come and uh, reference that right here on America's Workforce. So he'll be our second guest. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Speaking of the UAW. They warned Donald Trump that he shouldn't come to Michigan today to speak to the members who are on strike. He ignored them and intended to host a rally anyway. This is according to the Washington Post this week. Biden comes at the invitation of union leaders, the report began. But Trump, well, he's coming despite their warnings to keep his distance. Biden has touted a record as a pro-union president while at times struggling to maintain the support of rank-and-file members. Trump, according to the Washington Post, calls himself pro-worker while at times clashing with union leadership and implementing policies as president that worked against their best interests. And while Biden joined the picket line yesterday with union members, Trump's remarks today are being given at a non-union shop. But he has their backs. He has their backs By the way, uh, Trump attacked union workers. This was on a recent Meet the Press. He said the auto workers will not have any jobs. Why? Because all these cars are going to be made in China. The electric cars automatically are going to be made in China, he said. Kate Bronfenbrenner, who's director of labor education research at Cornell University, she told the Washington Post, well, These two politicians have very different strategies. Biden is taking a very unusual position for a president in saying a company has made enough profits and can't afford to give the workers more. Whereas Trump is attacking the unions and trying to create a specter of fear about the Green Revolution. Trump also, she points out, is an anti-union record, both as president and a developer. The former president believes electric cars are automatically made in China, which ignores Joe Biden's infrastructure package and the Inflation Reduction Act, requiring that for the $7,500 tax credit 
to be applicable to cars made in the U.S. According to Trump, workers should support him because, and this is what he said, I will make you rich. Okay, there you have it. Ford has uh, paused the construction of a Michigan factory that will make batteries for electric vehicles, claiming concerns about its ability to competitively operate the plant. Sean Fain, president of the UAW, decried the move as a barely veiled threat amid the strike at Ford and other automakers, among other demand striking workers are seeking guarantees that the workers who build the next generation of electric vehicles will enjoy the same pay and benefits as current UAW members. Now, Ford is relatively safe from expanded strike activity right now. Fain said, we still have serious issues to work through, but we do want to recognize that Ford is showing that they're serious about reaching a deal. At GM and Stellantis, different story. Ford has made progress with the UAW on eliminating some wage tiers, reinstating cost of living adjustments, conversion of temporary workers to full-time status, the right to strike over plant closures, and improve profit-sharing formula. However, Fain said that the two sides still have significant gaps to close on key economic issues, such as the size of wage increases. Last week, Sean Fain filed an unfair labor practice charge against Senator Tim Scott, Republican out of South Carolina, who was running for president. He did this due to Scott's statements suggesting that striking UAW workers should be fired. That's what he said. After a voter asked a senator about the UAW strike at a campaign event in Iowa, this is what Scott said. I think Ronald Reagan gave us a great example when federal employees decided they were going to go on strike. He said, you strike, you're fired. Simple concept to me, to the extent that we can use that once again. This is a presidential candidate, mind you. Now, under the National Labor Relations Act, anyone can file a charge against an employer regardless of whether they are an employee of that employer. The ULP accuses Scott of interfering with Section 7 rights of the employees of his campaign. A statement as direct as, if you strike, you're fired, is textbook unfair labor practice language because workers cannot be fired for striking. Law professor Ben Sachs points out saying workers they'll be fired for striking is violating federal labor law, and that's not something becoming of a U.S. senator. I can't believe he said that. But this is the world we live in today. Well, we got some news, good news for the uh, writers, the uh, 148-day writers' strike, the second longest in the Writers Guild of America history, concluded early today, thanks to a vote from the Guild leadership that officially authorized some 11,500 members to go back to work. Now, there's still some work to be done, as the negotiators noted. The end of the strike does not mean the tentative agreement that the union reached with the studios and streamers, this was over the weekend, is a sure thing. Union members still 
need to vote to ratify the contract. A referendum that union leadership announced yesterday will take place between October 2nd and October 9th. Members are also being asked to attend informational informational meetings on the New Deal that will take place in New York, Los Angeles, and on Zoom in the coming days. Their leaders will undoubtedly look to sell the deal to members and argue that the union's grueling work stoppage gave it the necessary leverage to pry the conditions from major industry employers. So they're going back to work, but it's still not a done deal. All right, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Pete Almini on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong. And fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X, and that would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. All right, let's go to the state of New Jersey right now. And joining us, as he does each and every month, Mr. Pete Almini on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators. Brother, Pete, how are we doing today? Hey, how are you doing today? We're doing fabulous here in Northeastern Ohio. Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. That's the uh, website you want to go to, chock full of information. Pete here. First off, give us an update on the uh, Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. This is something very near and dear to Pete and the heat and frost insulators. 
So it's been introduced, and I see you recently met with our acting labor secretary. A lot going, lots going on here. Pete, tell me uh, where we stand right now. Go ahead. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm knee deep in the world of uh, legislation, and it's not. It's not sexy, but it's a necessary procedures that have to be done to be able to pass our bill. The bill number is HR four six six three. It's the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. And what it's going to do is modify existing laws and regulations that requires a uh, evaluation of the mechanical system every four years to make sure that the building is properly uh, insulated and running efficiently. And it's going to save the millions of dollars in our federal buildings. And there's existing regulations that require energy audits to be performed, and it's very good. It's very solid, but it's lacking a a very important element, and that is uh, evaluating the mechanical insulation. So we are pushing hard to get this bill uh, uh, passed in Congress. Uh, Right now, the bill is in existence in the House of Representatives. Uh, We're working, and we do have bipartisan support. What makes this very unique is that we have a Republican and a Democrat both sponsored the bill. Uh, The Democrat is Linda Sanchez uh, from California, and the Republican is Randy Weber out of Texas. And they were both uh, very gracious and uh, cooperative. When we sat down with them, we explained what we wanted to do. They both understood it. Actually, they were both surprised that the existing federal regulations did not include the evaluation of mechanical insulation. And they both felt it was a no-brainer. They did their due diligence on on their side, what they have to do with their uh, their colleagues, and they felt this was a – a good bill to get behind. It's a very short bill. It's only two pages. And we're in a process of now of getting additional co-signers, uh, both uh, Democrat and Republican. I spent uh, two weeks ago a day uh, going from several offices, um, Republican and Democrat. And they, uh, every office I spoke to said verbally that they would support it. Some already have uh, officially signed on as a co-signer. I think we're up to 10 10 co-signers right now, Um, again, uh, with bipartisan uh, support. Uh, Next week, I'll be back uh, knocking on doors at Capitol Hill, speaking to more representatives from the Energy and Commerce Subcommittee. That's where this bill actually is living and we have to be able to get it out of committee before it gets uh, introduced to the entire house so uh with uh, with help from my uh, uh lobbying group uh state federal strategies uh they've been wonderful to be able to make the connections that i need to be able to speak to and uh there's a lot of people in washington right now getting a uh, an education of the importance of mechanical insulation that they didn't know before. And although we're, we're working on the bill on the House, we're also 
developing support, and we look at we're looking for introduction on the Senate side. We do have a couple of senators uh, that are excited to sponsor the bill in the same way, a Democrat and a Republican. I really don't want to mention their names right now out of respect because I they need to do their their due diligence on their side. Uh, everything th- seems positive. I am hoping by uh, uh, my podcast with you, Flash, that we're going to have the, the Senate Companion Bill uh, introduced as well. So we're mm-hmm. working on uh, on both sides of the of the Washington to get this bill passed, and this bill is going to it, it's going to do a lot of things. Hopefully, potentially, it's going to it's going to offer our contractors the opportunity for a lot more work. That means we're going to be able to put a lot of our members, all our brothers and sisters, to be able to have additional work and increase the opportunities for our apprentices and increase the opportunity for our programs to bring more more people into our into our, our trade. And I'll, and I'll give a plug right now. If, if anyone's listening and you're, and you're looking for a career, not just a job, but you're looking for a career with good pay and good benefits, you know, please look up their, your local uh, insulators union and apply to their apprenticeship program. If anybody needs help with that, you can uh, please contact me and I'll, I'll hook you up at the local apprenticeship program. But this is going to give us a, a good shot in the arm for additional work. And this is going to save taxpayers money, but we really got to drive that point home. We've talked about this in previous shows, but there's uh, 355,000 federal buildings that we're paying for that uh, need mechanical insulation. And the energy costs will go down once this act is put into place. It's so important that we move in that direction. You you mentioned uh, 10 co-signers here. What are we shooting for here, Pete? How many do you want to get to sign on this bill? Well, basically, uh, I got to rely on our our two sponsoring representatives. We need enough votes, uh, supporting votes, to get it out of committee. So as soon as they feel that they have enough support in the subcommittee, that's when it's going to get introduced uh, to the committee. Hopefully, get passed, and then it'll get introduced to the to the entire house. So uh, the number is is basically unlimited but we're 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 just going out and be able to drum up support in in any way that we can uh with with the members of congress incidentally we're going to be performing a uh, very unique webinar uh building action is another group that works closely with us they work with the building trades to help promote our causes and they're going to be sponsoring a a webinar and that's going to be on October 4th and that's going to be uh, we're both going to have uh, the representatives that I just spoke about uh, Congresswoman Linda Sanchez and Congressman Randy Weber along with myself Uh, I have an expert in uh, energy audits that will lay out how an energy audit works and examples of real life um, case studies so that the members of Congress is going to be able to see the incredible savings that they're going to be able to have just by addressing mechanical installation. 
you know, this, this country and, and Congress, you know, we're prepared to spend millions and billions of dollars of new technology, um, uh, solar farms, uh, solar panels, uh, wind turbine, the billions of dollars that have been invested in electric vehicles, all be able to save energy conservation and also to improve the environment. All all technologies are, are credible, and yes, and there's going to be a path for that in our future. But it's kind of frustrating. We should spend a little bit of time and a little bit of money and effort on some of this low-hanging fruit that's going to give us big results as well. And one of those mm-hmm. items is insulation. You know, and we just we just have to address a little bit of insulation in our federal buildings that's going to have a major impact. And once people see the numbers and they see the signs behind it, it's a no-brainer. The hard part is getting the word out for the influencers and the lawmakers to fully understand and support this bill. I know this is frustrating. It's probably like talking to a wall with some of these members of Congress, but uh, you just got to keep pounding that message. You got to keep every day. You got to tell them this is about saving money, taxpayers' money. Keep pounding that in. You yep. uh, you met recently with Julie Sue, the acting labor secretary. It's shameful that she's not confirmed, but that's what's going on in Congress, including a possible shutdown this weekend. I'm not going to get into that right now, but uh, – how did that pan out with Julie Sue involved in these uh, discussions? It went very well, and I was able to go uh, because of my uh, general secretary treasurer, uh, uh, Mr. Robert Reap. He was able to set up a meeting uh, with her, and he was gracious enough to uh, to bring me along, and uh, we had. Uh, we had a great discussion with her. She, she's very, very personable, uh, very educated. And, and just, you, you know, when you sit with somebody like that, you know, you can see why she is the, uh, the Secretary of Labor. And uh, it was a great meeting that we had with her. Uh, uh, General Secretary Reap uh, had some concerns that he wanted to share with her. And, and it's an important concern. And, and one of them is, and not many people realize this, is that <clears throat> union labor, we thrive on the ability to be able to mobilize labor from one project to another. Because you, you, may, need, uh, you may need 300 workers on one project for five weeks. And then when that job is completed, those workers have to go someplace else. And there may be another job that's going to need a thousand workers or a third job that may need a couple of hundred and be able to mobilize our workers from one place to the other is, is extremely important. And there's a problem when we have to mobilize workers between our, uh, the other country that we work with very closely and that's Canada. And we have to be able to mobilize our workers uh, crossing the border. And there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of uh, ridiculous delays that makes that inhibit workers from going uh, going through that border from one job to the next. And he was able to express our concerns uh, with the ability of workers uh, moving back and forth throughout the border. 
And I was also able to talk to her about the uh, mechanical federal mechanical insulation act that we have, we have pressing in the, in Congress right now. And she too was surprised that this, this has not already been addressed. And I said, well, that's the reason why we have this bill to make it, to make our uh, lawmakers aware of it. But it was refreshing to be able to sit with her. Um, it was the first time that I, that I met, uh, I met uh, secretary Sue. I was able to meet any times uh, Marty Walsh, as we all know, he moved on to, to, to something, uh, bigger and better. And uh, he came from the building trade. So inherently he had an understanding of, of all of the 14 building trades and what, what has to be accomplished. And, and I applaud uh, general secretary, Robert Reed to be able to take the time to be able to sit down with our new secretary and be able to relay some of the issues that uh, we are dealing with as one of the, 14 trades of the building trades as the insulators and being able to educate her and, and just let her know that uh, the insulators are a vibrant organization and we're looking for good and fair opportunities to increase our, our labor force and increase our furniture programs. It was a great meeting. Good. Good to hear. Pete Almini, on behalf of the International Association of Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers, Pete is the executive director of the Labor Management Trust, the website you want to go to where there's a lot of good information posted there, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. We'll continue with Pete. We're also going to talk about suicide prevention because September is Suicide Prevention Month. We'll touch on that later in the show. We're going to go to Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame, and check in with Dan Graff, who's in charge of the Higgins Labor Program. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. 
Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. Let's go back to our live line rejoin Pete Almini. Pete is the executive director of the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Trust Mechanical Insulators. LMCT.com is the website you want to go to. In the first segment, we got an update on the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. Pete, if you can briefly run down, I guess this is going to be introduced soon, the Mechanical Insulation Tax Incentive Act. Can you explain uh, where we are with this and, and when this is going to be introduced? Go ahead. Yes, sir. Thank you for bringing this up, uh, Flash. Uh, I'm not going to say this is a new concept for us. It's actually old. Uh, we had a bill in Congress. Uh, it goes all the way back to, to 2009, all the way up until uh, uh, Build Back Better, where we got, it got cut out of it. And we are reintroducing this concept that's going to offer a tax incentive or a tax rebate or a tax deduction for anyone that's going to install mechanical insulation. Of course, that would be the uh, the typical homeowner, but it also would focus on the commercial and the industrial sector as well. You know, the, the government gives tax incentives to buy a washing machine, to buy an air conditioning unit that offers uh, efficiency. And that's great. I've taken advantage of that, of those programs myself. But we should also be able to do the same thing for our mechanical insulation. For anyone that's going to install mechanical insulation, they're going to be saving energy, reducing costs, and also in decrease the amount of harmful greenhouse gas emissions. And there should be some sort of incentive in order for taxpayers to be able to put mechanical insulation in. Very good. We'll uh, keep us posted on that, Pete. Let's uh, switch gears here. You know, September is Suicide Prevention Month, and Pete, you and I have had several conversations about this uh, this topic. It's a tough one to talk about, but it needs to be discussed because suicide is very prevalent in the construction industry. I just want to inform you that over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking to various experts. Some of them I think you know, Dr. Sally Spencer-Thomas, she was on the show a couple of weeks back, she's working with a couple of unions, the iron workers, the uh, sheet metal workers, as well as uh, the uh, the pipe fitters. And uh, Lab- Labor's International, they also have a program. The Teamsters are helping out on that. And uh, I'd like to uh, talk to you about it as, uh, as of September winds down. I know you have a program. You're, like, fine-tuning it. Can you, uh, can you tell us where we are with this, Pete? Sure. Uh, We have actually two programs that I'm very proud of that I was able to get behind and that I've had the support of our international to promote them. Uh, One of them is awareness of uh, prevention of suicide in construction and just prevention of suicide, period. And, uh, you know, any opportunity we get, uh, in addition to supporting mechanical insulation, you know, we're trying to bring awareness to, uh, to suicide prevention. And one of the things we're doing now, we have, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's kind of a gimmick, but it, it's cute. It works. Uh, it's poker chips. And 
uh, it has basic information, contact information on one side. On the other side, it has it has a the dial nine eight eight, and that's important. Everyone knows what nine one one does. Well, now our government was able to set up in Canada as well nine eight eight. And for anyone that has some unpleasant thoughts uh, or just can't handle life and it takes it to a level that they need help. All anybody has to do is dial nine eight eight, and it's thank God it's out there. And mm-hmm. I, recently, I was at a uh, job fair, and I'm handing out the uh, these poker chips, and I try to give two to everybody. And they look at me, why take two? I said, well, do me a favor, help me spread the word. Keep one chip for yourself and your family. Just put it in the house someplace. Let let every one of your members of your family see it and make sure they know where 988 is. And also take the other chip and give it to somebody else and and pay it forward. And let's let's spread the word out about uh, there, there are ways to prevent people from committing suicide. And the other program I'm, I'm excited about, it's, it's with our members. It's called the uh, Installators Member Assistance Program. Uh, every member of our organization, about 25,000 members, ha- will have uh, support in, in any type of mental, mental health capacity. And I don't want to say mental health because that kind of like scares people, but there, there's a lot of things that go on in everybody's life. There could be depression and this, this could be addiction to substance abuse, uh, whether it be alcohol or whether it be drugs and whether it be uh, unprescribed drugs or illegal drugs or even could be prescribed drugs. There are so many things that we need help with. And it's nothing that's talked about, and we have to be able to provide information and not just information but also assistance to be able to help our members. And we have a program where any member can can make the contacts, and it's 100% confidential. Uh, The employer doesn't know that they're reaching out. The union officers don't know that they're reaching out. Nobody does. And it's a great program that we were able to put together to service our members. But be able to have have assistance to be able to help, whether it be our members or whether it be outside of our union. You know, we're trying to do our best to be able to spread the word out about prevention and suicide. uh, Construction offers the highest rate of or the, the the occupation that has the highest rate of suicide in this country. And it's something that we have to change. Absolutely. There's a lot of resources out there and that's exactly what we talked about on the show. It's so important and it's very important to act quickly. What I came across in our conversations when somebody has thoughts of suicide, there's like a ten minute window that you have to get to that person so uh, because they're they're serious about doing it so it's important that you act quickly and have the right resources and there's so much stuff out there so thank you so much for uh, for what you brought to the table today 988 that's the uh, suicide line and also I love that idea about the poker chips that's good that's a great idea 
Pete Almini, on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Trust. Again, the website, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. You take care, brother. We'll talk to you next month, okay? Thank you, Flash. Take care. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the University of Notre Dame and check in with Dan Graff, who heads the Higgins Labor Program. We're going to talk about the UAW strike right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Speaking of teaching, let's go to the University of Notre Dame right now. And joining us is Dan Graff. Dan is the director of the Higgins Labor Program, and he's had that position for about 10 years. Dan, welcome to the show. Talk to me about the uh, Higgins labor program. I know you want to talk about the UAW strike. I want to get into that. And, and I love what you said, that that Sean Fain is channel channeling Walter Ruther. Now, Walter Ruther, obviously legendary, legendary labor leader of years past. But let's get into this uh, this program. It sounds quite fascinating. Go ahead. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, the the program Higgins is named after another legendary 20th century labor advocate, Monsignor George Higgins, who was a Catholic priest as well as a labor economist. And some uh, predecessors of mine here at Notre Dame back in the 1990s decided that uh, Catholic social teaching, uh, we're at a Catholic university, speaks so strongly about the dignity of work as well as those who perform it and the rights of workers to form unions in their self-interest 
And so they said, we need to form an organization and we'll name it after Monsignor Higgins, who spoke so forcefully and brought workers and unions and management to the to the table so many times, whether it was the farm workers in Delano or auto workers uh, with GM. And so we're carrying on Monsignor Higgins' spirit by running a program that educates and uh, performs research on any kind of labor question. And we really feel we're, we're trying to educate the next generation, which of college students, many of them don't have a memory of, of when the labor movement was strong. Uh, and so we're, we're grateful to be able to do that work. That's interesting because, especially among young people today, and you know what's going on, especially at the Starbucks of the world, Trader Joe's, where there's a lot of young people working. Uh, labor right now, unions are like red hot, red hot. I think it's like 88% in favor, uh, especially of the younger generation. We're talking like 18 to 30-year-olds, so that's good. What about as far as the, the, the students there? Are they pretty receptive to what you're teaching? Well, I certainly attract students who are interested in labor history and labor issues. Uh, so I'm a historian, so I, I usually will teach one labor history class a semester, and then I'll teach what we call the Just Wage Research Lab that is more contemporary. I certainly have detected an uptick in interest in my courses and labor questions Generally, we, we uh, hold the, or host, I should say, what we call the Labor Cafe once a month, which is just an in, informal gathering of people interested in talking about labor questions. And we launched it in September of this year, you know, start of the new academic year, and we had 35 people come. And that's on a Friday at 5 p.m., and they're almost all students. So there definitely is generational interest that I haven't seen at this level in 20 plus years of teaching. That's good to hear. That's really refreshing. All right, let's talk about uh, the UAW strike, which uh, it's different than past strikes. And we've got somewhat of a militant leader, one that you're kind of comparing to uh, Walter Ruther. What's, uh, what's going on here, Dan? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I do think that the UAW president, Sean Fain, has been channeling the spirit of Ruther. And Ruther, as you mentioned, the legendary leader, was president of the UAW during what we might call its heyday, 1946 to 1970, when he uh, perished in a plane crash. Uh, but Fain seems to really be reviving Ruther's militancy as well as public relations uh, savvy decrying the auto company's greed and excessive executive pay, which is something Ruther would just do nonstop during his reign as president. Fain, of course, is trying to bring back some of the contract wins that Ruther and the UAW introduced into the American political economy back in the 40s through, through the 60s. Cost of living adjustments, talking about a shortened work week, um, better health care and pensions. I mean, these were the kinds of things that Ruther and the UAW negotiated with the big three that made, and no pun intended, or maybe the pun is intended, that made those contracts the Cadillacs of their era and uh, spilled over into the, the larger economy so that good jobs, as Americans came to define them, really rested on 
the, the collective bargaining agreements that Ruther and the UAW, as well as other unions like the Steelworkers and the Teamsters, negotiated. Yeah. Yeah. One final way, I think, uh, that Fain that has been channeling Ruther is trying to use bargaining with private sector employers to compel broader public conversations. I mean, historically, the companies always want to negotiate in private, out of the public eye. They don't want to have these larger public discussions. And Fain, like Ruther of an earlier era, is negotiating in a sense in public, saying we're not just looking out for a better deal for us. We're talking about work-life balance, job security, dignity of work in an era where all those things have been under attack. So I think Fain is positioning himself and saying the UAW can reclaim that legacy of speaking on behalf of a a larger working public. Even his use of the term audacious, he himself when he he publicly uh, sort of uh, came out with the union's demands, called them audacious. And I think that was a winking nod to the Ruther era because throughout the, the, from the late forties into the sixties, every time the UAW would announce its demands and in a bargaining round in public, the executives and companies and commentators would respond that these are audacious demands. No one has ever gotten this. No one will get this. And then things like COLA and healthcare and defined benefit pensions did come. So I, I think, I think Fane is aware, quite aware of the history. Uh, and it's really interesting to see. So, you know, I don't know where things will end. I do know that, while no one feels good about the need to have a strike, I think we're all better off if it ends up us talking more about the larger social contract and what kind of society we want to be. And I think the UAW, as well as some of those other conflicts from this summer, from Hollywood to to UPS, are, are doing the same thing, performing the same public service, you might say. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a summer of strikes, and it's going into the fall. So the, the writers did settle. They're they're going back to work, but they still have to ratify that contract. You know, you, you talk about the UAW. We should point out, too, it was the UAW that brought us health care, you know, as far yeah. as employer-sponsored health care. And then all the other unions followed suit on that one. I got a, cr- a great quote here from, uh, from Sean Fain. And and to your point, too, it's not just about the UAW. It's not about auto workers. It's about all U.S. workers. And this is what he said. Our fight is not just for ourselves, but for every worker who is being undervalued, for every retiree who's given their all and feels forgotten, and for every future worker who deserves a fair chance at a prosperous life. Sean Fain. So that uh, that certainly speaks volumes. You know, uh, Biden visited the picket line yesterday. That was history in the making. And now Trump is going there. I'd like to get your perspective on what's happening here. Go ahead. Well, I, I certainly think both of those visits are historic uh, and maybe for different reasons. Uh, Biden has really framed himself as the what he calls himself the mo- most pro-union president since FDR, and he really does repeatedly make what I would call a Ruther argument that unions built the middle class, and the middle class is the heart of this country, and we need to restore it. 
So I was heartened to see him make the stop. It seemed like it was even in you know, sort of uh, against some of his advisors' wishes who wished, wanted him to remain more neutral. Um, I think in part, you know, it reflects his desire to get the UAW's endorsement in his reelection because the UAW has not been that happy with uh, the federal government's push toward electric vehicles and subsidies for the production of them without maybe demanding real teeth in those subsidies uh, in order to make sure that those are good union jobs. So I think this is not just to the public that Biden was there and get a soundbite. I think he's He's using that to to talk to Fane and to say, look, I am on your side. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. In in terms of Trump, you know, always the wild card in in American politics, even in the GOP. And, you know, I don't I don't trust anything Trump does or says as far as I could throw him. Uh, but uh, I, I certainly think it speaks to his both interest in tapping into working class resentment at this system we're in that's not benefiting them and and his limited success in being able to do that in 20, 2016. So he's trying to revive revive that in a way that other Republicans, I don't think, are able to. I saw Tim Scott, his fellow candidate for president, when asked about the UAW strike a week or so ago, his response was simply, I think President Reagan did the right thing in firing the PATCO workers in 1981. I don't have, have, know what that's supposed to say about his <laughs> understanding of labor politics or labor law. A president cannot fire uh, auto workers in a private sector company. Um, but it, it just spoke to the lack of a GOP position on how to help working people and speak to these questions. Trump tries to do it simply through demagoguery and going to the picket lines. So I guess those are my thoughts, if yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. No, I'll tell you, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Dan Graff, who is director of the Higgins Labor Program at the University of Notre Dame. Great conversation. Let's keep in touch, okay? Great. Thanks so much for having me. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO and the latest from the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.